the story begins with emptiness. Not just the passage with the empty lack of life feeling within the women as they journey towards the, uh, the, the tomb of Jesus, the grave, which itself is empty. But the whole story begins with emptiness. The great story, the story that is contained in the whole Bible, begins with emptiness, an absence of life. The earth is said in Genesis 1 verse 2 to be formless and empty. And wherever you are on the spectrum, from creationist to uh, atheist cosmologist, you can agree in that fact. It begins with a nothingness. There was a time of no life, neither animal nor plant. The Genesis account puts the fruition of life into six days of action, six periods of time. All directed by God's word. And it results in a garden where humanity first dwells. And this is then followed by a day of rest. A day to set things aside. A time of rest. And that's a pattern of life with seven days in a week that has for centuries been the almost universally recognized pattern across the globe. Most cultures have had that seven days, even those not touched by the Abrahamic faith, such as the Jin dynasty of the fourth century of what we now know as China, had weeks of seven days days. In our reading, it is the first day of the week. It is the day after that dictated day of rest, the Sabbath. And it is a day of emptiness. The women rise before the sun and head to the garden where Jesus had been laid in a tomb roughly 36 hours earlier on the Friday evening. One wonders at the thoughts running through their heads at that time. A week to the day, the fragrance of nard had filled the air. The crowd had cheered. It cheered their friend, their rabbi, their king who rode a donkey. He had been fated and praised, praised most high, glory being given to him. But now, as the week 
had gone on. He had been betrayed by one of his own number. One of their own number. One of their friends. And the city had turned on him. He had suffered the cruelest and most shameful of deaths. And then he'd been sealed in a tomb, owned by a member of the council, a gift from a rich believer. How strange it must all have seemed to the women. A week ago, so full of hope and joy and celebration. But what cares and torment of mind, bringing them grief as they carried the spices. I imagine as you prepared to attend worship this morning, you came with joy, knowing what the Lord has done. You know what's coming this day. You know what the story is, that Jesus is alive. That he is risen. You know that after two years of Easter lockdowns, when we couldn't be gathered together, we could today have a congregation praising aloud, blending our voices in this place. But for the women, for the women wandering on their way to the garden, It's mystery. And what they discover there throws them. It's a new emptiness. That of a tomb with a stone that's been rolled away. And this empty tomb gives us joy. The empty tomb means there is life. But not everyone understands this. And we see that for these women, initially, there was even more confusion and even more wondering. What does this mean? Who are these people that appear before them? How many people we know hear of the empty tomb and don't get it? How many don't even journey there? It's our place to do what those angels are doing. The men in blazing white and encourage reflection. It's for us to make known what is already known only in part. The angels tell the women, he has risen. Then they remembered Jesus' words. Their emptiness need not have been. Their teacher had taught them what would happen. Had they, or the other disciples, really listened? 
they understood. Many of the stories and teachings of Jesus were signposts to his resurrection. There were signs saying that he would journey to the cross, but he would also be raised to life. Among those passages that we've read and heard in the past month or so has been the feast at Bethany where Mary poured out the perfume. And it had a crowd wanting to see not just Jesus, but also Lazarus, who Jesus had brought back from the dead, who the tomb had not been able to hold. And before that, we'd had the parable of the prodigal son that we thought of three weeks ago, containing the father saying, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. And then later in the same passage, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. This sense of new life coming. In Luke 13, when Jesus was warned against going to Jerusalem, when the Pharisees came to him, we read that Jesus said, on the third day, I will reach my goal. The day and a half since the stone was placed on the tomb takes us from Friday through the Sabbath to the third day and the new beginning. His work taking the weight of our sins on his shoulders having been done at the cross. His work is done. Awakened and alive to the truth, the women then go to find the other believers. Not simply the others, uh, the eleven, but there's others too. They go to tell the many. These are the first preachers of the gospel. They go and tell that their emptiness has been filled at the empty tomb. That new life has come into the garden. That there is indeed life that is recreated because the Son of God is resurrected. He is alive. They take the message of the angels and share it. And for the most part, this falls on deaf ears. And that is sometimes the case when, whether through loving actions or preaching with words, we proclaim the gospel. But it also inspires and moves Peter. He wants to know more. 
And he gets up. And he goes to see. Who do we have to reveal the gospel to? Who is the one who will, from among the others, desire to find out more and so grow in faith? Peter doesn't know what he will find. And even after seeing the empty grave and the strips of cloth that Nicodemus and uh, Joseph of Arimathea had wrapped around the body of Jesus after it had been taken down from the cross. He's still left wondering. He wonders what has happened. And it will not be until the evening, in a room with the door locked, that he will see the risen Lord. But his journey of faith continues well beyond that. He will be learning and growing throughout the living out of his calling, throughout the time of the sharing of the hope of Christ, of being a fisher of people, of making them disciples. He will continue to learn and grow, and his faith will learn and grow. Because Peter doesn't have all the answers. He doesn't have all the answers at the graveside. He doesn't have all the answers even when he meets Jesus. He never will in all his life. It's right that he doesn't have all the answers. Truth be told, no one on earth does have all the answers. And if they tell you that they do, they're a charlatan. The Apostle Paul tells the church in Corinth in that well-known passage on love that he doesn't have all the answers in 1 Corinthians 13. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. And then a few verses later, now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. The resurrection is not the end. The resurrection is the beginning of new possibilities for believers to discover God's love and to share it. In Genesis, in Eden, in the place flourishing with life, separation comes, and with it death. But in the garden of the tomb, the place where a body had been laid, the opportunity to have new life is seen to have started. A life that enables us to be in the presence of the Creator. For the grave cannot hold us our sin is forgiven and eternity awaits. For the women, it was the first day of the week. For us, today is the first day of the rest of our lives. Where our lives had emptiness, may we each 
have life in all its fullness. For Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.